The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the Scriptures and let them speak. Up uh, our Bibles to First Peter chapter four as uh, we return to our study in First Peter, First Peter chapter four. Uh, over in uh, Acts chapter twenty, just by way of uh, introduction, Acts chapter twenty in verse thirty-five, it quotes Jesus as saying, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." And I think that most of us would say that the joy of giving far outweighs the joy of receiving. Uh, actually, I was uh, with my son last night, and uh, he, uh, for, for a gift, he, uh, he gave me a, a ticket uh, for both of us uh, to go and see a, 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 the Bulls versus the, the Wizards down in, uh, in D.C. And uh, on the way back, he says, this is just what brings me a lot of joy. I just, I just really enjoy giving gifts to, to other people. That's, that's what really brings me a lot of, of satisfaction. And I think that a lot of us would say something similar, right? Uh, that, it, that it gives me a lot of, of joy to give, especially when the recipient of that gift appreciates the gift that you've given, given them, right? You know, when they appreciate it, it just brings you so much more joy that you know that they appreciate that they're going to make use of that gift that you've given to them. Uh, it's the unused gifts and the unappreciated gifts uh, that make us wonder if it's really a, more of a blessing to give uh, than to receive. Uh, I remember uh, not too long ago... Um, after we were married, not too long after we were married, uh, my wife and I were vacationing with the family in Ocean City, New Jersey. And uh, we were about to eat breakfast uh, one morning, and uh, uh, one of the friends asked, you know, hey, would you like a cup of coffee with your breakfast? And uh, this was before we went over to the dark side and started drinking coffee more regularly. And uh, we said, no, we, we don't drink coffee. And uh, one of our friends says, oh, oh really? Because you, you put a coffee maker on your gift registry and uh, we bought you a coffee maker for your wedding present. Was, was that a mistake? Did it, did it get on there by accident? And we felt so bad. And here we are trying to explain that, no, it wasn't a mistake. We, we actually wanted to use it for hosting. But, but you could tell that she was clearly disappointed uh, because she had given us this gift that was up until this point unused and unopened. We, we want to know that the people that we get gifts for actually appreciate those gifts that we buy them and that they're actually going to make use of the gifts that we buy them. And that's why so many people send gifts with the gift receipt in the, the package, right? You know, just in case you don't like it or you already have one, you can give it back. You know, don't, don't just like waste my gift, you know, go and get something that you're going to use. One company actually predicts that between Thanksgiving and January, $120 billion in goods are going to be returned. $120 billion are going to be returned. All these gifts that people are giving over Christmas and $120 billion worth is going to be going back to the stores. And in some cases, stores are just encouraging the customers just to keep it. <laughs> it's more of a hassle for us to, to get it and try to restock it. Just keep the gift and we'll give you your return back. But, but don't send it back to us. Just, just keep it. We, we enjoy it when people use what we've given them. And the text that we're going to look at today lets us know that God has also given us gifts. And God expects us to use what he's given us. 
for the benefit and blessing of, of others and also for his own eternal glory. But unlike the, the Christmas gifts, our spiritual gifts don't come with receipts in the bag. We, we can't trade them in. We won't be getting a refund for the spiritual gifts that we've been given. We actually have a stewardship for the gifts that God has given to us. There's an accountability for your gift. There's a requirement and responsibility for the gift that God has given to you. And we don't know how long we'll have to use those gifts that God has given us before our time's up. There's an expiration date on the gifts that God has given to you. Now, whether that's the day that you're taken from this life or the day that the end of all things comes upon us, but either way, the time is short. We don't, we don't have long to use what God has given in our care. And that's what Peter reminds us of over in 1 Peter. And I'll start at uh, verse four, uh, 7 of chapter 4. But in 1 Peter 4, he's going to start talking about these gifts that have a, a, a time stamp on them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, and then all of the rest follows, verse 7. But it starts off by saying, the end of all things is near. You don't know how long you have. Therefore, we are to do these things. And we have a stewardship for the gifts that God has given to us down in verses 10 and 11. It speaks about these spiritual gifts. And the burden of this text shows us that we have a responsibility to use these gifts before the time's up. Steward what the Lord has given to you. Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll start at verse 7 for the sake of context, but our focus is going to be verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this Sunday as we always do asking for your help, pleading for your help. Now, Father, we know that without you, we can't understand these things. Now, Father, that it takes the God of the word to understand the word of God. And Father, I pray that you would open up these things to us and I pray that you'd use me as a weak instrument in your hands to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we pointed out earlier, uh, there's a great burden that's placed on the gifts that have been given to us because there's a time constraint. There's a time limit. We all have a limited amount of time to use what the Lord has given to us. And this is heightened by Peter's recognition that the end of all things is near. But why is Peter talking about the end of all things? Uh, the last time we were here in 1 Peter, we saw how the rampant wickedness and the rebellion of the world around us is a reminder that the world is teetering on the brink of judgment. And we don't know how long the world is going to have before God finally says, enough's enough. And God will only hold back his judgment for so long. And in the same way God waited for the sins of the pre-flood world to become great on the earth to the point where every intent of man's heart was only evil continually, God waited for that moment before judgment came. 
And in the same way that God waited for the, the outcry of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah to become exceedingly grave before he finally said, enough's enough. And then judgment came, Genesis 18. And in the same way that God allowed the land of Israel to become thoroughly defiled before the land spewed its inhabitants out, God waited for that time to come before the judgment came. The, 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 the wickedness of man only goes so far before God says, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm done, that's enough, judgment is coming. God will only allow the wickedness of the world to go so long before the judgment comes. And what Peter says is it's at the door. It is very near. <laughs> we don't know how long we have, but we've been teetering on the edge for a long time. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> we've been teetering on the edge of judgment. And the edge of that judgment is close. The end of all things is near. We use that word eminence to speak about God's judgment. It's the condition of something that could happen at any moment. Something that is about to happen, and Peter's teaching us that the events of the Lord's return and his final judgment could happen at any moment, and that the world is calling for it. You know, we don't know what the, you know, if you ever played that game Jenga, you know, when you're pulling out the blocks and stacking it on top, it's like you don't know which block you're going to pull or which block you're going to place that's finally going to make the whole tower crumble. And Peter says, we're, we're, we're right in that stage, <laughs> I don't, I don't know which block is going to be removed or which block is going to be added that's going to make this whole thing fall down, but I do know one thing. It's near. <laughs> it's close. We're right on the edge. That's what Peter is teaching us. It's, it's shaking, guys. The tower is shaking. Judgment is near. Romans 13, verse 12 says, The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, jealousy. That's not how you want to be found when the day comes. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. You better wake up. You don't know when the time is over. God could break through at any moment. And if all that is true, and the time is short, and the day is near, what should we be busy doing? This is just review from the last time. Number one, you need to sober up for prayer. That's what he talks about in verse seven. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. We did that this morning as a congregation. Pray. Do you see what's going on in the world around you? <laughs> Are you discouraged by what you see going on in the world around you? In the government, discouraged by the rebellious hearts of hardened men, the facing of persecution, even in the church? Are you feeling the pressure of the world around you just to conform, just to give in to the temptation, just to get them off your back? You need to wake up, you need to wise up, and you need to be praying. You need to go to the Lord in prayer. First Thessalonians 5, 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Wake up. And if all things are winding up, you need to be uh, bending down, Right? Getting on your knees, Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Sober up for prayer. Number two, you need to cover up your brothers in love. We looked at this last time as well, verse eight. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And the idea of fervency in, in love here is communicated by the Greek word ektenes, uh, which means something that's stretched out to the very limits. I, I strain myself to love you. I'm stretching myself to love you. And in what greater way do we demonstrate love by other than the, uh, the times when we have to forgive? I am stretching myself out to say, brother, it's okay. 
brother, I forgive you. Yeah, I know you did it last week, but I'm, I'm forgiving you again. You stretch yourself out, strain yourself, and just say, that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to love. I'm called to cover up. I'm not called just to kind of, you know, uh, publicize the sins of one another. I'm, I'm called to cover them up in love, to pray for one another. How do you love one another? You know, we, we talked about the illustration of uh, uh, Noah's, son's, Noah's son Ham, who ridiculed his father's nakedness and drunkenness, instead of the sons Shem and Japheth, who walked backwards with their faces away in a garment to cover their father's nakedness. Like, that's what we need to be doing with our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Is there, is there a way I can cover you? <laughs> I'm not here to expose you. I'm not here to shame you. You know, is, is, is there a way I can be praying for you? I want to see you helped. And I only need to expose it as much as I need to help you. That, that's why we expose sins, to help people. I expose it to the person that's sinning. And then if they don't turn, I expose it to other people so that they can help me to help this person from sinning. Like, that's why I, I open this up. That's why I expose sins, because of my, I want to help you. But my, my, my goal is not to just shame you. I want to see you helped. Number three, we open up our hearts and our homes. Verse nine, be hospitable to one another without complaint. You know, today, like I said, we use hospitality for entertaining family and friends. But uh, when scripture speaks about hospitality, it speaks about loving strangers. That's literally what it means. I love people that I do not know well. <laughs> You know, I, I love people that don't look like me, uh, that, that aren't necessarily in my, my small group of friends. I, I stretch myself out to love others. That's what we're called to do. The first Christians view themselves as part of a worldwide brotherhood, transcended all national, racial, social boundaries, as Strock says in his book, Hospitality Commands. And that's what we're called to do. We're called as a church, and one clear application of this is to, to talk to people that you don't know in here, to greet one another in love. I'm not just going to, you know, huddle up with everybody that I know that I've already talked to this week. You know, I saw you two days ago and I'm going to see you again. Aha, we're so, so hospitable, aren't we? No, go find somebody that you didn't talk to this week. Find somebody that you haven't talked to in a month and say, hey, I'm so sorry that I've missed you all this time. Like, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? That is hospitality. We need to be a church that's hospitable, opening up our hearts and even opening up our homes to one another in love. That's what we're to do if we know that the end is near. But what else do we need to do? And this is where we jump into verses 10 through 11. If I know that the day of Christ's return is near, if I know that the, the end of all things is near, there's one more thing that Peter says that we need to be careful to do as the day draws near. And what's that? We need to use up the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of others and for his glory. That's what we need to be doing. Use up the gifts that God has given you because you don't know how long you have. <laughs> Verses 10 and 11, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The main, main idea that's found in verses 10 to 11 is found right there in verse 10. It's translated as employ it or use it or minister it. It's actually a participial form of the, uh, the Greek word diakoneo, which is where we get our English word deacon from. It's, it's a word for, for a servant, somebody who serves. It's a word that means to serve, to support, to minister, to take care of. As, as a Christian, I should view my gifts as being at your service. <laughs> my, my gifts, the gifts that God has given to me are for your service. I'm at your service. 
Because that's exactly what Peter is teaching us about any of the gifts that have been given to us by God, regardless of what they may be. Our gifts are meant to be a service to others. As each one has received a special gift, employ it, minister it, use it, serve with it. That's what you've been given it for. Serve somebody with the gift that you've been given. And that word uh, diakoneo, which was a, a word that was, uh, like I said, it's where we get our English word deacon from, uh, but it was actually used of a table waiter over in uh, Luke chapter 17, if you want to flip over there real quick, Luke chapter 17, just to show you one of the ways that this, this word was used. It was used for somebody who waited on tables. Luke 17, look at uh, verse, verse 7. Luke 17, starting at verse, verse 7 here. Again, here we have the, the words of Christ. And he says, which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. That, that word for serve me while I eat and drink, that's the Greek word diakoneo. <laughs> wait, wait on my table first and then you can get yourself something to eat. It was somebody who waited on a table to wait on people, to attend to them. For example, it's the, the same word that we find over in uh, Luke chapter 10. Remember uh, Mary and Martha? Luke 10 verse 40, Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. She came up to Jesus and he, she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? She's left me to diakoneo by myself. <laughs> She's left me to serve these tables by my lonesome. Tell her to help me. That's that word for, for serving tables, diakoneo. It was also a, a word that was used over in Luke chapter 22, but our Lord expanded it a little bit, Luke 22. In verse 27, he says, For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who, diakoneo. I'm a, I'm a table waiter here. I, I'm, I'm the one who's come to serve you. But in this case, he wasn't talking about physically waiting on a table, he expanded it a little bit. He says, everything that I'm doing is an act of service. Everything that I'm doing towards you. I, I, I'm humbling myself before you to serve you, to attend to you, to meet your needs. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like a table waiter to you guys. And what does he mean by that? The entirety of his ministry. Every way that I'm helping you is a service towards you. What do you mean by that? By teaching you, by training you, by leading you, by being patient with you when you don't get it, by answering your questions that you should have understood, by cleaning up your mess when you lack faith. You know, you know the, the, the boy that, that, that can't be healed, bring him over here to me. What? Guys, you have little faith. I'll clean it up for you. You know, clean up in all seven. Here comes Jesus to clean up the mess. Performing miracles to, to increase your faith. Rescuing you from the sea even when you doubt. Protecting you in the garden when you're frightened, praying for you when you don't even know that you need it, and ultimately, I'm going to serve you even by dying for you. That was Jesus' service to his disciples. I'm, I'm here to serve you. I'm among you as one who serves. Mark 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, diakoneo, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus used service 
this table waiting as a metaphor for all the various ways that he employed his life and used his life as a ministry for others. He was at their service. Jesus is the ultimate example of the servant. Greatest example in serving one another. And what did Jesus do when he knew that the end of all things was come upon him? <laughs> as, as he was nearing the end of his days while he was here, what, what was Jesus doing? John chapter 13, you might know the story already. John 13, verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. It's my time's up, guys. What was Jesus doing? This is his personal end that's upon him. And what was he doing? Verse four, he got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The end of all things was coming upon Christ. And what was he busy doing? He was busy serving, diakoneo. <laughs> he was busy washing the disciples' feet. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? I am among you as one who serves. And what this passage teaches us, back in First uh, Peter chapter 4, what the passage teaches us is that we have been specifically supplied and equipped and outfitted by our master to be servants. That's, that's what we are. We're servants of one another. And, and God doesn't send us out to, to build bricks without straw. He gives us everything that we need in order to serve faithfully. Back over in First uh, Peter chapter 4. Look what he says here. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it. So, so he doesn't just say, go out and serve, but I've given you a special gift in order that you can serve. And we need to recognize our service as God's gift to us. The way that we serve, the gifts that he's given us to serve others with, that's God's gift to us. This is our special gift. Your gift to serve others is a gift that's been given to you. It's a gift to serve others. It's a gift to be useful for others. And what I've been trying to get across to our church is that each of our gifts are specific and unique to us. It's not some kind of generic gift off the shelf this is something that the God is specially designed for us. That's why uh, the translators here have used the, 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 the adjective special gift. It's a special gift. It's not in the original. The word special isn't in the original, but, but that's the idea that's communicated here. And the, the word here, when it speaks about how each one has been given this special gift as each one, uh, that word is the, the Greek word akastos. It means each man, each one personally, each one personally has been outfitted, gifted. And that's where we get this idea of special, unique. Each one has been given a gift. Each person. And later on, Peter will say that we're stewards of the manifold grace of, of God. And what's interesting about that is that uh, uh, Peter only gives two categories of gifts. He only says speaking and serving. But then when he speaks about like how this gift comes to us, it's manifold. It's multicolored. It's various. So, so he's saying there's many ways that God has specifically equipped each believer. I, I can put them in two categories, but there's various multicolored ways that God has gifted us. So, so we have a, a gift that's unique to each one of us, a special gift. I like to, to think of our gifts as a, a unique blend from the master artist. You know, my daughter, Kara, uh, she spent uh, a lot of her high school years involved with the fine arts, and one of the things that she had to learn how to do was to mix colors. 
And it was uh, amazing how, you know, she can take a couple primary colors and come up with all the various, you know, kinds of, of colors and shades and varieties, depending on what she wanted to, to paint. And God is that, that master artist who knows how to, how to mix the blends perfectly for each one. This is for you. And that shade is for you. And this color is for you over here. God knows how to spread it out, multicolored, various. And we've all been given a, a unique fingerprint in ministering. Back in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God is the, the master artist who's prepared beforehand what we need to do. This is how you are going to walk. And he's equipped us for what we've been designed to do. It's interesting when you look at the, the different texts, you know, that speak about the spiritual gifts, they're all different. You need to understand that your gift is unique. You may need to figure out exactly, you know, where you fit, but you, you have a fit. God has designed something for you, and your gift has been fit out exactly for what God has called you to do. My question for you is, are you using the gift that God has given to you? <laughs> do you understand that, that you have a unique fingerprint to offer that nobody else can offer? Is your gift still in the box with the receipt in it? Are you like that unused coffee maker? <laughs> are you percolating? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? It's our goal as a church this year to do what we can to equip our members here to encourage them to utilize the gifts that God has given to them. And I'm convinced that we have all kinds of wasted resources right here within the church. There's just kind of like this latent potential that's just just sitting here. How are you using the way that God has gifted you to be a blessing and a benefit to others within this church? You don't know how long you have to use that, okay? You don't know how long you have to use what God has given to you. You know, some of us may be sitting on our gifts because it's not what somebody else has. I want what that person over there has, so I'm not going to use what, what I have. That's not an excuse. Some of us may be trying to serve in an area that's not really our strength. Some of us may not know what, that we appreciate what you have to bring as a church, and I'm letting you know that we do. What, what you have been equipped to do, gifted to do, we appreciate that as a church. We want to be able to use that within the church. Some of you might need to free up some more time so that you can be used. I like, like what my, uh, my uh, former pastor used to say. He says, I'm looking for fat people, faithful, available, and teachable. Are you making yourself available? <laughs> Are you making yourself available for ministry? Make yourself available. Some of you may, may need to free up some more time so that you can use it. Some of us think that if I can't do what I do on a Sunday morning, then I'm not going to do it. Everything that, that God has given to this body to do can't all fit into two hours on a Sunday morning, okay? There, there's various ways, multifaceted ways that God wants to use us. And some of us just need to point it, be pointed in the right direction and be encouraged to just let it rip. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I can see you doing this. Like, go for it. Go for it. But I'm excited about what the Lord will do in our church this year, and I pray that, that you'll recognize that whatever you have, it's been given by God, it's unique to you, and it can be a blessing to other people. Recognize your gift, your service as a gift to you. Number two, recognize your service as a gift for others. Whatever gift we have, we're to employ it in serving one another. My gift is not meant to build me up, it's meant to build you up. If you remember... Uh, that was the, the problem that they were having over in uh, Corinth, right? They, they were 
trying to build themselves up instead of trying to build the body up. Why don't you just flip really quick over to, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. Now, 1 Corinthians chapters uh, 12 to 14, it speaks about some of the sign gifts that were present in the early church before the completion of Scripture. And uh, by the way, 1 Corinthians is the only book that gives a listing of the charismatic sign gifts, which is a fascinating connection to make. Uh, but we'll hold off on the fuller implication of that for a later time. Uh, But these uh, gifts were given as as signs according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I was actually thinking about uh, getting into a fuller explanation of uh, what the sign gifts are and the purpose of them in the the church, but I'll I'll have to save that for another message. That'll be too long to, to try to cover today. But I want to point out at least one thing in this context is that these sign gifts, these kind of spectacular charismatic gifts that were present in the Corinthian congregation were being used for personal profit rather than for the edification of the body, which is why between chapters 12 and chapter 14, you have chapter 13, which lets us know that you're to use these things in love. (laughs) You know, you're not to look for your own personal benefit. You're to look to serve somebody else with what you have. I don't care what kind of gift you have. If it's not being used for the service of the body, you're like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Like, get it together. But it should all be about edifying one another. Look at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. I'll start at verse uh, 6. He says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or of a prophecy or of teaching, yet even lifeless things either flute or harp and producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. If you have a gift, what is it for? It is for the edification of the church. It's not so you can come in here and show how shiny your gift is. Hey, look at me, look at what I have. No, if you have a gift, it's for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. And and if you're not using it for the building up of the body of Christ, you're using it in contradiction to the purpose that it was designed for. You're you're being selfish. You're being self-centered. You're not building anybody up. You're not doing anybody any benefit. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. But to the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. What's the, the key word? Edification. Verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. What are you supposed to do? Edify the church. First Corinthians 14 and verse five, uh, greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Verse 17, for you are all giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. And look at verse 18 and 19 just real quick. Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because I want you to be edified. (laughs) The Corinthians were missing the point. I have not been given a gift to draw attention to myself. My gift is meant to be a service and a ministry 
to others. If my purpose is just to come in here and show off, you know, how fancy I can be and, you know, throw around some kind of theological words and reading that I've done and, you know, give you kind of tidbits in church history that don't mean anything and, you know, insights in Greek grammar, if I'm only just seeking to edify myself and all of that, if it's not for the purpose of helping you with anything, I might as well, you know, set my drum set over over here, set it up and just kick it around. Say, hey, isn't that great, guys? Don't you enjoy that? Because I'm not doing anything. I'm just being a nuisance at that point. If what I'm doing does not help you, does not move you along, I'm just making noise. I'm in here to be a help to you. We're not in here to talk about our accomplishments. You know, I just want to let you know about some of the things that I've done and, you know, where I've served and who knows me and who I know. My service is not to be some kind of pedestal to lift myself up before men. I'm supposed to be a footstool at the service of men. I understand that my gift is for you. It's for your service. And if it's not a help for you, then maybe it's not my gift. (laughs) You understand that? If I'm not helping you by what I'm doing, that is not the gift to the church. I'm not helping. I need to help. I need to edify. You have needs that I can supply, and I have needs that you can supply, and that's just how the body works. That's how the body works, which places a special value on your gift. Colossians 2.19 says the body is being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments. We've all got a ministry to to one another here, right? Look back at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 just real quick. Look at verse 14. It says, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less the part of the body. If the air says, because I'm not the eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our, on our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have n- no need of it. But God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If the, the whole face were an eye, it would be a mutation. Like, like, like we'd need to send somebody to the hospital if like that's the only appendage that you have. You know, no ears, no nose, no mouth. All you have is an eye like Cyclops. We need to take you in. You need some help here. <laughs> but we, we need all the parts. You know, I don't care how big your ears are. You need them. <laughs> you need them. We, we have, we have the, the, the various members of the body that have been fitted exactly how God wanted them to be. And they all have a purpose. We all have a point. General George Patton was known as old blood and guts, regarded by many as the best American general ever produced. He's the only American commander to be admired and feared by the German high command in World War II. He was feared by his own soldiers as, as well. And uh, General Patton was given the command of the 3rd United States Army. He had the task of preparing thousands of men for battle who had never seen conflict before. 
And one of the ways that he prepared his men was through what was just simply known as the speech. And this is what he said. He said, all real heroes are not storybook combat fighters. Every single man in the army plays a vital role. So don't ever let up. Don't ever think that your job is unimportant. What if every truck driver decided that he didn't like the wine of the shells and turned yellow and jumped headlong into a ditch? That coward could say to himself, they won't miss me, just one man in thousands. What if every man said that? Where would we be then? No, thank God we don't say that. Every man does his job. Every man is important. The ordinance men are needed to supply the guns. The quartermaster is needed to bring up the food and the clothes. For us, where we are going, there isn't a lot to steal. Every last man in the mess hall, even the one who boils the water to keep us from getting the runs has a job to do. Everybody has a job. And we're all important. No matter how insignificant you think, oh, this is all I do. You know, all I'm doing is boiling the water. Do you know that boiling that water could save somebody's life? Like, like I have an important task here, and God has given this to me. God has equipped me for this. And it's for the service and the benefit of others. He says, each man must think not only of himself, but of his buddy fighting alongside of him. And if I don't do my job, my buddy suffers. <laughs> we, we need to start thinking about one another. It's like, hey, we're, we're, we're all in this together. We're all in a battle together. I've got to do my job for you to do your job. You've got to do your job for me to do mine. I mean, let's, let's work together here. Recognize that your gift is a gift for others. Number three, recognize your service as a stewardship from God. It's a stewardship from God. Back in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You are stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what a steward is? It means you don't own it. <laughs> You don't own it. You, you, you've been given it on, on loan. Like I'm, I'm caring for something that belongs to somebody else. I've been given a gift by God, but I'm actually caring for this because one day I'll have to give an account for it. The word for steward is the, the Greek word oikonomos from two words, oikos, which means house or a dwelling, and nemo, which means manage. It's a house manager. A steward is a house manager, a household slave who managed the property of another. He didn't own the property. He just looked after the property that belonged to somebody else. And this is the kind of position that Joseph was, remember, in Potiphar's house back in uh, Genesis uh, 39. It says, now his master saw that the Lord was with him, how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned, he put in his charge. Did Joseph own the house? No. But Joseph was in charge of everything in the house. Like, like he was the household slave that was responsible for managing everything in the house. And he knew that this didn't belong to me because there was uh, at least one person that wanted him to have a little bit more than what the master said he could have. Potiphar's wife, who made these advances towards Joseph. But Joseph says, no, that's, that's off limits. I don't own this place. I'm sorry if you get that twisted. You know, I'm just here to manage things. And how could I sin against God and against my, my master, right? In Genesis 39, he refused his master's wife. He says, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. There's no one greater in this house than I. He's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So he understood that, like, I'm just managing what belongs to somebody somebody else. And 
God says the same thing about, about us. We are stewards of these gifts, and we'll have an account to give for the gifts that God has given to us. And there's two broad categories of gifts that uh, Peter uh, gives here. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one serving by the strength which God supplies. Two broad categories of the gifts that we steward, speaking and serving. Whoever speaks, literally, it says, if anyone speaks as a word of God. If anyone speaks as a word of God. What Peter is saying is if speaking is your service, if that's how you serve, if that's your diakoneo, if that's how you've been gifted to be a blessing to the body of Christ, the way that you do that, the way that you give a proper account of that gifting is that when you speak, you do it as a word of God. I speak as a word of God. The technical question that uh, grammarians ask is, is this speaking in the way that God would speak? Like in the characteristics of God? Like in the subjective kind of sense? You know, I, I know that God is honest, so I should be honest. I know that God is just, I should be just. I know that God is righteous, I should be righteous. I know that God speaks authoritatively, I should speak authoritatively. Is it, is it that kind of speaking as God would speak? Or is it speaking what God speaks as far as the content of what God speaks in an objective sense. I will give God's view of this from Scripture and not my own. In the context of Scripture, as well as 1 Peter, would let us know that he's speaking about the objective sense. The content of what I give is God's words. I will give the oracles of God. I will give the utterances of God. 1 Peter 1, 24, 25 says, for all flesh is like grass, its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. I speak what God speaks. I give his content, not my own. Verse 23 lets us know in chapter one that we're born again by the word of God. First Peter two and verse two, it says that we grow by the word of God. So why would I give anything else? Second, second Timothy chapter four and verse one where uh, Paul gave this uh, uh, charge to Timothy. He says, I soundly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing, preach the word. You, you, you give God's word. That's what you'll be held accountable. Did you give the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? We're not to preach beneath the word where we fail to understand what it means. We're not to preach around the word where we avoid what it means. We're not to preach beside the word and set up our own external authority. We're not to preach over the word and just preach our systems. We're not to, to preach across the word and just kind of lightly skim across the top. We're not to preach against the word and refute what the word has to say. We're not to preach beneath it, around it, beside it, over it, across it, against it. Simply preach it. Give what the word has to say. And that's what God is going to hold us accountable for. We are to preach the word of God, which is why we make such a big deal over expository preaching, that the, the meaning of the message should be the meaning of the text. That, that that's where I, I derive my points from. It's from, from this. But the same should be true in whatever kind of ministry, not, not just the guy who stands up here. Like whatever speaking ministry you have, are you giving the content of scripture? What does that mean? If you're an evangelist, are you giving the word of God or some kind of gimmicks to try to turn people to faith? Are you giving the word? Are you giving the content of scripture? Are you a teacher in the church? Are you speaking according to what is written 
Or do you spend your time dealing in speculations and theories that might interest you, but are not found in the word of God? 1 Peter 1, 4. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 4, sorry. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 4 says, Nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Titus chapter 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, strife, disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I'm not to just come in here and say, ah, oh, I think that this, isn't this an interesting idea? Or like, like what I've heard recently that uh, William Lane Craig wrote a book and he says, let's just imagine that there's, you know, just a bunch of uh, hominids or whatever he says, you know, it's just kind of like these creatures. And then out of all these creatures, the guy just picks one, no, like two of these and says, I'll call you Adam and call you Eve as if like we can kind of somehow squeeze the evolutionary process into Genesis 1 and 2. That's useless speculation. Useless. What, what in the world are you trying to, to teach this stuff for? Put it in print, no less. Useless. Avoid it. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogy, strife, disputes about the law, unprofitable, worthless. If I stand up and I call myself a teacher... Why am I not going to give you the content of scripture? Why am I going to stand up and call myself a teacher and then give you my opinions? Or let's just imagine. Let's just think about, like, what could be? No, let's go to the Bible and says what is. Let's see what it says. <laughs> Do you call yourself a counselor? You give exhortation? Call yourself a Christian counselor, a biblical counselor? What kind of counsel do you give? Do you know that God's going to hold you accountable? for what you give? And are you giving the content of scripture? Or am I going to kind of get off on these theories and, you know, this is what, you know, well, Freud has some interesting things to say about this. And, uh, you know, there's these, uh, these theories that, that might be of some help to you. No, give me scripture. If, if you open your mouth and you're saying that I'm, I'm teaching you something, I'm, I'm giving you some, something that's going to be helpful, it's like, give, give me the words of scripture. What, what does scripture have to say about this? What kind of counsel do you give? God will hold you account, accountable for giving the oracles of God. And it's foolish to give the wisdom of men. Foolish. Psalm 1 verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's, that's where I want to I just park it right there. Like that's the blessed man, right? Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. There's no light in them. Speak according to this word. How, how are you serving? How are you speaking? Are you speaking the oracles of God? You know, I, I want to I give you some spiritual help. Are you speaking what God speaks? Are you saying what God says? God holds you accountable for what you say. God also holds you accountable for your service too. I mean, some of you might be saying, well, whew, I'm sure glad I'm not a teacher because <laughs> that's, that, that's scary. God will hold me accountable for what I say. I don't want to trip up and say something that's not right. You know, so go ahead, Pastor George. Just, just make, sure, make sure you keep it right. Keep it right and tight. You know, just don't, don't, don't deviate. Yeah. No, no, God holds everybody accountable, okay? Everybody is held accountable, not only for what you speak, speaking the oracles of God, but also in how you serve. Over in uh, 1 Peter 4 and verse 11, it says, whoever serves is to do so 
as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Flip over to Romans chapter 12 real quick. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 gives us another listing of the spiritual gifts, but it also lets us know how these gifts are to be exercised. Look at uh, Romans chapter 12. I'll start at verse 6. Romans 12 starting at verse 6. Romans 12, verse 6, it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Then he goes on to talk about what, what surrounds these gifts. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We already looked at that, right? Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let me ask you a question after I read all that. Do you think you can do any of that in your own strength? (laughs) This is a long list here. This is hard. (laughs) Faithfully serving, liberally giving, diligently leading, cheerfully showing mercy. And then there's those people that pay you back evil when you're trying to give them good. And God says, don't you pay them back evil. (laughs) This is what I'm calling you to do. There's a reason that Peter says we're to serve by the strength which God supplies because we can't do this. I can't do this. I need God's help. Lord, help me, please. Back over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, uh, we're to serve by the strength which God supplies. That word uh, for supply is the, the Greek word choregeo. And uh, it's actually where we get our English word chorus from. Uh, choreography also comes from the root of this word. It was a, a word that was originally used for the person who led a chorus and eventually for the person who paid for the chorus, who supplied the production with everything that was needed. It was actually like the old term for a producer. You know, like if uh, in the modern day, if a film is independently produced, the movie producer is responsible for funding the film and all the additional cost. If the film goes over budget, that's what the producer does. And in the Greek world, that's what would happen for a, a choir. You know, it would happen for a, a theater production. There would be somebody who would be responsible to put forward all the fees. Everything that would be necessary to put this production on, uh, this person would do. He would supply it. That's where this Greek word was used for. And the one who supplies all that we need for his service is who? God. God is the one who supplies us with everything that we need in order to do what he's asked us to do. And he doesn't need us bringing our own homemade props to his set. (laughs) You know, leave that at home. You you come and and you do what I supply you with. 
This is how you're going to serve. We don't need you bringing your bad attitudes to this production. Serve with what he supplies, his grace, his mercy, his strength, his character. And my question is, are you relying on him to do his service or are you relying on your own strength? Like, I'll do it myself. I know how this works. Kind of put it on autopilot. I'll come into the church because I know what needs to be done around here. So I will do it and get out of my way. You know, anybody who stands in my way because I know what's going on here. You need to leave that at home. (laughs) You need to leave that at home. You need to come in here with a humble heart saying, Lord, help me today. Help me to serve. If I'm standing at the door and greeting people, Lord, help me to do this in your strength. Lord, if I'm setting up a chair today, if I'm putting out the, the sign out here, if, if I'm greeting somebody after church, if I'm serving them, you know, a refreshment, Lord, let me do this in your strength, which you supply. Give me the right attitude, Lord. Help me to humble myself in whatever I have to do. Like, like Lord, I, I can't do this on my own. I will mess this up if it's left to me. Lord, I need you. And finally, do you recognize your service as unto the glory of God? This is it. Verse 11 You do it by the strength which God supplies. Why? So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That so that is a purpose clause. Why why do I speak the oracles of God? Why do I serve in the strength that God supplies? Here's why. So that in all things God may be glorified. If my words come from me, who gets the glory? I do. (laughs) But no, my words come from from God. Like I'm, I'm just trying to communicate what he's communicated to me. So all the glory goes back to, to him. If I come in here in my own strength, then who gets the glory? I do. But no, I, I don't come in here in my own strength. I, I come in the strength that God has supplied me. So who gets the glory for that? God does. God is to be glorified. It's his might. It's his power. It's his strength through me. All glory goes back to him. To, to glorify us, to, to render esteem, to ascribe glory. Like Psalm 115 and verse one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give the glory. And the question interpreters ask is the, the glory that's being received here, is it to, to the Father or is it to the Son? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. God, the Father is glorified through this, right here where it speaks about the, the strength that God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified but he's glorified through the Son, Jesus Christ. He may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory. Who's that talking about? That's Christ. God is glorified through Jesus to whom belongs glory. <laughs> so glory's coming from both ends. It's going to God, it's going to Christ. Like glory's just spread all around. It, it, it comes from him, through him, to him. It's, it's all glory back to him. Glory comes through Jesus Christ. God the Father's glorified through his son. God the Father is glorified through his son. John 5 verse 25 says that all will honor the son even as they honor the father. The father receives glory. The son receives glory. And as we bring this to a conclusion, it's important that you understand that the only way that you can bring glory to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There's no way that you're going to glorify God through whatever you're doing. I don't care how philanthropic you are. You know, every year I give so much of my resources to help, you know, starving people in Africa, and I dig wells, and, you know, I'm, I'm out here helping the homeless. If you're not doing that through Jesus Christ, no glory is going to God for that. No glory is going to God for that. You, you can do all the good works that you, you think, but uh, if you're not doing it through Jesus Christ, the Bible says whatever is not from faith is sin. It's self-glory. 
All, all glory goes to God, but it goes to God through Jesus Christ. Just a couple verses I'll, I'll mention here. I just found this, this uh, amazing. You can jot these down. But just to, to speak about how glory goes to God through Christ, just listen to these verses. First Peter 2 and verse 5. It speaks about how we're living stones. We talked about this before. We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, but how? Through Jesus Christ. Glory goes to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 13. It says that uh, our Lord Jesus Christ equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It speaks about the, the God of peace who, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord. May that God equip you in every good thing to do his will through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory it's, it's like this glory goes through Christ, back to God. Hebrews chapter uh, um, 13, that's 13, 20, and 21. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. It says, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, it's through Christ to the praise and the glory of God. Romans 16, verse 27 says, To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory comes through Christ to God, through Christ to the Father. And if you're not going through Christ, you're not giving glory to God. The only way that I can give glory to God is that I come through His Son, Jesus Christ. I don't bypass the Son to give God glory. And I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, just over this new year, oh, I just want to give God thanks. Oh, I just want to thank God for my blessings. You know, oh, I know it's been a rough year, but we can, just, we can just give God, God thanks for all of his blessings. God's been so good. But if you're not going through Jesus Christ, you're not giving glory to God. You know, they want to talk about God all day long, but are you talking about Christ? How, how many times have you heard that? I just want to thank Jesus Christ who saved me from my sins. And it's through him that I can give glory to God for his blessings over this past year. It's through Christ to God. You do, not, you do not bypass Christ and get to God and give him glory. Glory only goes to God through Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're not giving him glory. If you, don't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, turn your life over to him. Recognize that you're a sinner in his sight. Recognize that you've, you've broken God's law that you've been a rebel at heart, that you've transgressed his commandments, and recognize that Jesus Christ is the only satisfaction. There's only one name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And if you do not come to Jesus Christ and plead before God that his life would be placed on your account, Lord, let, let his life and his death on the cross, let, let that be the satisfaction for my sins. If you have not turned over your life to Jesus Christ and given him all and just said, Lord, I, I, I just give myself, I, I just relinquish control of my life over to you. If you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, don't think you're giving glory to God. There's no glory going to God without going through Jesus Christ. He is not hearing you. The glory is not going to him from you. He will receive glory, but it's not because of what you're doing. It's only because of what his son does. And it's through him that we give glory to God. Turn to Jesus Christ and find life. It's the only way that you can 
find life. That's if, if, if you want to know how, to, how do I start this new year right, that's how you start it right. If you haven't turned to Jesus Christ, you do it today. You give your life over to Jesus Christ today and start giving glory to God. But for those of you who do know Jesus Christ, my question is, what are you doing with the gifts that he's given? <laughs> what are you doing with the gifts that God has given to you through Jesus Christ? It's because of Christ that you have these gifts, right? Because of his life, his death, his resurrection, you have these gifts now in your possession. What are you doing with these gifts? Are you using your gifts for the benefit and blessing of others? Because God expects you to use them. And unlike your Christmas gifts, you don't have a receipt. <laughs> You're not going to get a refund. God expects you to use what you have. And you are called on to be a steward, to steward faithfully those gifts. And... Uh, the burden of this text is you don't know how long you have to use them. You have no idea because the day is near. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for uh, this time that we've had in your word. We pray that you'd uh, speak to us uh, through your word. My Father, that you'd challenge us where we need to be challenged. My Father, that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. Some people need to be comforted that I, I have a gift. I have something of value to offer to this church. Uh, so, Father, I pray that we would all use what you've given us for, for your glory and uh, for the benefit and blessing of, of those who are around us. And uh, may we give God glory through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.